And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, December 27th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Final days of 2021, our very last Rates and Barrels of the 2021 calendar year. You know, someone is in victory formation. I'm not sure it's us. So I think we're we're on the other side of, of, uh, of a, a lopsided score in 2021. Limping to the end. <laughs> uh, well, it's just two, two L's in a row. I think 2020 and 2021 have to have to be L's overall for us, even though I think from a, a podcast standpoint and from personal standpoints, they were probably fine and, and W's, relatively speaking. But hey, we're, we're going up. We're moving in the right direction. If there's any San Diegans uh, listening, uh, we can drown our SARS together. Uh, Pure Project uh, on the 30th, uh, happy hour, sort of 5 to 7-ish. Uh, I'm going to have some space uh, outdoors uh, for just to make it a little bit easier on our guts and uh, our stress levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, hopefully I'll see you there. Uh, and then in St. Louis, uh, we're having a meetup. Uh, January 13th, that is the Thursday before MLK weekend. We're going to be at four hands, same deal, five to seven. However, I have a budget for that one. And so there will be free appetizers. There will be um, a, a a card with a deal on it, uh, like a code for, for the athletics. So there'll be, will there be an athletic deal involved? And uh, four hands has told me dollar off pints. Hey. So uh, come on down to four hands for about five to seven in St. Louis. Uh, January 13th, because I'll be speaking at the World Pitching Congress, uh, which uh, there's still tickets available to. That's going to be some real cool dork stuff. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, developing pitching, analyzing pitching. I'm going to be on a panel with the director of R&D for uh, the Pirates and um, and Dr. Mike Son, who uh, does a lot of work we've referenced here uh, when it comes to uh, how to deal with pitcher fatigue and injury. So... Uh, I'm be also presenting what's not in stuff plus, mm. uh, and how that should shape our research and coaching going forward. Nice, that should be great. Uh, I'm imagining that the uh, St. Louis gathering probably indoors in January, but St. Louis sometimes you get a little warm in the winter, so you never know. You might get a patio opportunity. They showed me pictures of the space. Uh, I can't tell you that we're going to be outdoors, but it is uh, <laughs> upstairs in its own spot, and uh, the ventilation looks good. It looks it's a really big spot, so I uh, hope people come on by. Very cool. Well, we've got uh, another rebound sort of episode. Last week, we talked about bounce back hitters. Certainly more uh, we could have gotten to, but they're not all going to fit in one episode. Similar sort of approach this week, but we're going to focus on pitching. So all about pitchers, all about guys that really can't wait for the the ball. Is it just a ball? The ball to drop at the end of the year and for 2022 to begin? 
I don't, uh, New Year's Eve is just not my thing. And it, I mean, I think it's your thing, but it's not my thing. Well, I, I like it, but I, I've been like constantly just disappointed by it. I mean, I've had some, uh, some really cool, like, you know, I've done fish like three or four times on New Year's. Uh, some of those were, were cool. Madison Square Garden, uh, Florida, uh, big Cypress. So I, I, you know, some cool fish shows, um, some really cool house parties. I like going to a house party. Uh, I will have to say though, that doing anything that involves money, you know, like getting in a cab, getting, a, getting home, uh, eating out, uh, you know, anything like that, it's bad. I think it's a one location sort of thing. You don't want to yeah. hop around on a night like that. So the thing that in recent years back in Wisconsin we did a few times was uh it was like an all night bowling sort of thing. Like just, you know, get a bunch of friends, go bowling, they'll they'll make a big a big spread. This place had the prime rib and a bunch of stuff, food that was out all night. It's kind of like a a buffet. Um mm-hmm. and then, you know, just open bar for one yeah. flat rate and you're just at one place and you're hanging with a bunch of friends and you know, yeah. that that seems to be the the way to go for me on New Year's. So when stuff like that happens, I'm in. I'm I'm, I'm interested. Like not like like the very worst thing you could do is go to Times Square. I used to live near Times Square. I used to live in Hell's Kitchen, and we would just pass along like little tidbits we heard from people who went like, "Oh man, did you hear? Like he had to pee himself because he just Couldn't, wasn't yeah. going to make it to the bathroom. Yeah, he knew, knew knew that he wouldn't make it to the bathroom, and that yeah. getting back to the spot where he was exactly. with the people he was with was going to be more of a hassle." Than peeing himself and dealing with that, like that's had friends who like wore diapers just for that reason. <laughs> wow, uh, yeah. So I've I've never even considered going there on New Year's, and uh, now I'm 100 percent out because I don't want to stand around a bunch of people peeing themselves and, and wearing hey, diapers. Di- diaper parties are like people do that without the Times Square portion, but I I've I've never done that. <laughs> I will not partake. I've done some really stupid things in my life, but that. Uh, that's a new level that I'm, I'm hoping to avoid forever. I think you could unlock the like expert, really expert level by doing like a, a Edward Forty Hands diaper party. Oh my God! Don't give people ideas. <laughs> I'm I'm glad that this podcast is not popular with college age people because I don't I don't I don't want I don't want to be responsible. For I don't want to be connected to that idea. That is just a awful idea and i should bleep it out in production because that should never never see the light of day let's get to the bounce back pictures i think that's what people are actually (laughs) here for (laughs) let's not design these elaborate hell parties that people don't actually want to attend uh there are several pictures within the top even 25 or so of my rankings or at least within the top 40 that previously had spaces much higher so that's where the beginning of this conversation is going to be, and uh, we kind of compiled a list of guys we were going to talk about yesterday. I'm sure a few more names are, are going to pop up, but Aaron Nola is, I think, a little bit challenging because he has shown a lot of variance for an ace with the ratios, and I'm trying to figure out how much that is you know, park-induced and how much of that is are things out of his control and how much that should be held against him, right? Because at his absolute best, we see ratios that are elite of the elite. The 237 ERA, the .97 whip back in, in 2018. In a good year, you get like the 328, 108 that we got in the shortened season from NOLA. But then you have these other swings where, I mean, 2021, he popped an ERA at 463. Tons of strikeouts. There was a home run issue. He's always had good control. 
So this seems to be kind of a, a surprisingly volatile, especially an ERA pitcher, but one that can rack up a ton of innings and with that, a ton of strikeouts. I've got him 10th in my ranking, so it doesn't feel like it's it's that much of a fall for him. Are you, are you skeptical of Nola based on what we saw in 2021? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, he was ninth in strikeouts minus walks, uh, which is a really uh, a really good metric. I mean, listen to the top 10s. DeGrom, Burns, Scherzer, Rodon, Cole, Ray, Kershaw, Bieber, Nola, Peralta, Woodruff. Is That's the top 11. Wheeler, 12. You know, so it's like those are the best pitchers in baseball. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, he, of course, had the uh, second worst home run rate in that grouping uh, to, to Bieber. Um, I don't think that there's a, a great comparison to Bieber, though. Um, I, I think that Aaron Nola's knuckle curve, huh, maybe there is a, a decent comparison. to. So let me just say this. Uh, for his career, Aaron Nola has a strand rate of 74%. Last year was his worst year. So strand rate is like how often you leave uh, your, your runners on base, right? Uh, um, and last year was the worst year of his career. He had a 66.8% uh, strand rate. And I just did the math, and I looked through, if you just replaced his strand rate last year with his career strand rate, his ERA would have been 388. Okay. Better. His career ERA is 368. Hmm. So I think there's a little bit of a double-edged sword there, and it kind of happens every turn when I look at Nola. So like, um, if you look at his, his pitches, his velo went up last year. The ride on the four seam went up. Uh, the changeup uh, dropped more. His release point went up. Uh, every pitch got better, except the sinker went from 89 to 79 stuff plus and was worse for him. Um, and so I just wonder if he's a good whip, good strikeout home run guy. We've seen a lot of those guys over the years. This isn't a, a totally new sort of profile. No, uh, and so I just think that um, it's it's interesting to try and and, and rank him. Uh, I I mean I think he's a top like he's a top twenty pitcher uh, as a lock for me, right? But when you start getting into the top ten and you're talking about well, here's a guy last year's true talent was three eighty eight, his projection is three six ERA. Neither one of those really screams elite. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of it's kind of hard to push him into the top five for example, right? Or the top seven. So you had him, you said 10th? I had him 10th, but I, I think that's about where the list gets soft in the sense that you can, you can make strong arguments for someone at 22 to be up at 10 and vice versa. Like, I, I just think... Like, what do you have right around him? Lucas Giolito, right yeah. after him. I mean, that's... In my mind, that feels like a fair toss-up. Similar strikeout rates. Giolito walks more guys. They both have a home run problem over the last two years. Giolito's ERA has been better by about three quarters of a run during that span, which I think is a you know a big part of that's the park. But his projected ERA is worse, right? At least by Steamer. And if you look at, I mean, I've, I've now I've got stuff plus and location plus columns in the rankings that I'm working on, and it's just like, okay, like Giolito's stuff's a little better. Nola's location's a little better. Like that that's enough. To, those guys seem so similar. I mean, maybe they're both a little overrated. I have Freddie Peralta, one spot behind mm -hmm. both of them, they're right behind Giolito. I think with Peralta, you're getting more K's, but you're taking more walks. I'm curious to see if that home run rate stays as low as it's been for Freddie. I mean, 
it's possible. It's possible that I'm underrating Freddie Peralta, which are words that I'd never thought I would say out loud. In terms of stuff and location, Freddie Peralta is the only one that has any red in him uh, in like the top 15 or 20 almost. You know right, I mean? right. Just slightly below average, but just that faintest little shade of red with the conditional the formatting. But then, <laughs> but then, but then you're, still, but like you're already starting to pick nits in, in everybody else. Like Robbie Ray what? had slightly below my... average stuff, and he's the next guy below Freddie Peralta on the list. And this is this is my larger point. I think Aaron Nola is the dividing line. He is a human over-under <laughs> in, in, in the sense that like if I got... Uh, and maybe it's Urias or Bieber, but uh, I think actually if I got Urias or Bieber, the guys you have ahead of him, as my ace, I wouldn't feel the need to jump back in and double tap aces or get someone quickly. I could, I would feel that I could maybe wait on my second pitcher and maybe grab Charlie Morton as an underrated guy later. You know what I mean? Um, if I pick nola giolito peralta i think i might want to jump back in and get a second starting pitcher pretty quickly and pair them with i don't know the sale alcantara flaherty types so as an example of this you have nola fourth uh, a tenth and chris sale 14th i i did a kind of uh, i did a dc a 15 team dc uh, on an nfbc where uh, we waited on starting pitching maybe a little bit too long. We ended up Chris Sale as our ace, right? We jumped right back in and got you Darvish as quick as possible. So I feel like right around Aaron Nola is where I'm like, no, I'm comfortable with my first pitcher, and I can wait a little bit on this and get get a one that I think has dropped as my second. Whereas if I had Nola, I would feel a little bit more like, yeah, I need to pair him with someone. I need to go get. Alcantara, you know, I need to go get sale or something and pair him with him. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I guess that I'm also looking at Nola, and I'm looking at Walker Bueller, who I've got in the top five, and I'm, I'm seeing some, some caution being exercised around Bueller as an elite of the elite pitcher for reasons that I think are are fair, but I. What, just the fact that he kind of tailed off at the end? I mean, I think... Lower K rate than other elite of the elite pitchers. And that's, that's yeah, I, I think, so. one of them. If you use ERA indicators, the Sierra even is not that kind of Bueller compared to the other top-end mm-hmm. pitchers. He gets hit in the zone more often. Like Again, you have to pick nits at the top of the list. That's what you, that's what you do. But I, I wonder if in the same ways that I look at the at Bueller and say... Yeah, I see that, but I don't believe it. If I'm doing the opposite with Nola, where I'm like, yeah, I see that he's done these great things before. I just think the park is working so hard against him that mm. he's unlikely to do it. He's he's like he's more likely to me to slightly underperform expectations and deliver that high threes ERA than he is to crush and get us a 325 or, or something along those lines again. And I think Bueller's the opposite. If I and the only the only response I have is I mean I think I largely agree with you. Uh, the only response I have is that near the end of the season, uh, his sinker was regaining some of its sink. So there is like an Aaron Nola in there where he has great sink on his uh, sinker and he does have this better four seamer and the best changeup. Like I think there there could be some really tiny tweaks where you know it all kind of comes together. But also, uh, you know, you look at your uh, top fifteen. And him and Bieber are the only ones that uh, returned less than 10 bucks last year. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if, if someone pushed Peralta or Giolito ahead of him, I, I wouldn't yell. 
Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Same as the conversation last week with the hitters. I, I think you have the guys that were hurt, the guys that were hurt and missed time, right? That's that's Bieber. I would oh, say you yeah, Darvish probably falls into the guys that were clearly hurt but not not missing that much time as a result of it, and then performance tailed off, and you have to kind of untie that from just aging and in a 2020 yeah. season that was a, above expectations in a way that he we didn't, didn't really think lose that do. much velocity either. So it's not like you point to something or stuff, you know, like his stuff plus numbers are excellent. Top 15 in, in among starters. Yeah. The, so you know. the two guys that I think I'm quite a bit higher than the room on right now, at least based on early ADPs, and this could change. People do their research. They make their decisions, shift things you, around. You talk on your podcast. Podcasts happen. Well, they're, Group think, collective hive hype, mind, like that kind of stuff happens. DVR hype, collective hype. I don't think it's necessarily me persuading other people as much as it's just like, hey, I got to look at Darvish again. DVR might have something he's right about, so I'm going to dig into it too. And people make their own decisions. I, I believe mm-hmm. that. I think I'm higher on Darvish and Charlie Morton than the field by quite a bit because whereas they're clustered together as like back of the top 90 overall picks, which means they're late sixth rounders in 15 teamers. I've got them kind of pushed up with late fourth rounders. I've got them sitting next to Jack Flaherty, Logan Webb, Kevin. I got them ahead of Kevin Gossman. I just I don't see I don't see what really separates those guys from Darvish and, and Morton. I think age is being like weighted way too heavily against both of them, and with Darvish. And it's not clear that age is a is a huge big deal when it comes to established starting pitchers. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm caring less and less about that as time goes on. And I think with Darvish, the Adam Wainwright rule, <laughs> the Adam Wainwright rule, the Max Scherzer rule, the you know yeah. the the Justin Verlander rule. Yes, I know he blew out his elbow, but he's still a really good pitcher. I think the other thing that I'm having a hard time with with Darvish is for about a half season he was extending what he did in 2020, right up through. Mm-hmm. July 3rd, 265 ERA, 0.95 whip. Right? And then the injury started to bite him a bit in the oh, second yeah, half. yeah, something else happened around July 3rd, though, too. Yeah, yeah, and I know he's got a billion pitches, and, you know, we, we can put him in that in that bucket. But, I mean, he really, after they had that uh, sticky stuff enforcement, uh, his spin went down, um, and his stuff plus went from 113 uh, before it to 110 after, so... Uh, he did take a hit there, but the spin was actually back to normal uh, by the end of the season. Read that however you like. Um, and it was the location that took a big dive in July. 
Um, so I think, you know, he might be actually one of those people that benefited the most from the extra command that he got. Interesting way to, to break it all down. I think that that does make a lot of sense. I mean, the, the thing about Darvish that surprises me, I have the, the last two years stats mushed together just to see how, how do guys stack up over the shortened season plus the season we just had a 5.9% walk rate. It, it's lower than I would have guessed for Darvish. I think he has a reputation for having a, a greater walks issue from his past than he currently has. I think the command problems show up in the home run rate. Right. But I think the park, I think being in San Diego, I mean, knowing how that park has played for years, the weather conditions there, even though it's become a little bit easier to hit home runs there because of changes around the ballpark. It's still cold. <laughs> it's still damp and cold at night. It's still a good place to pitch. I just think there's a very soft landing spot for him. And if you're drafting him as your your second starter, and he, he fits probably more for me into your group of, I wait a little bit on my SP1, but I want another guy that I think could be possibly a top 10 starter. He's the kind of guy that I'm turning to in that scenario, especially because it, it makes sense to me that he could come out and give us a 3-5 ERA, a really nice tidy whip, and plenty of strikeouts. And I think you know, there's slightly above average health risk, but not not ridiculous health risk with Darvish overall. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna have to see. Um, work with Jeff Zimmerman again and get get some uh, red, yellow, uh, green flags on health again. Oh, but, the flags, um, yes. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, he's definitely not a red flag for me. Uh, he'd be. I think he might be yellow, but like uh, the kind of yellow you'd put on sale. Um, who would you put it on? Who else would you put a yellow on up here? Bieber, Degrom might be a red. Bieber, I mean, Bieber's more, almost more orange for me. I know he made it back. Like, if if you want right. to give me a a, 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 a distinction that's not red or yellow, I think Bieber could kind of be the midpoint between high risk and medium risk. I see it, medium risk is where I would probably would put Darvish, which is not abnormal for other pitchers. Charlie Morton is medium risk, and I, I would say mm-hmm. his injuries are a mix of, we talk about this a lot on the position player side, random crap like getting blasted in the leg by comebackers and you know hip surgery from years ago and different things like that so i just look at both of those guys and i'm like if if they were three or four years younger wouldn't everyone like them more and it's like well why do why do i care they're still good they, they're still doing all the things they need to do or at least most of the things they need to do to be really good so yeah, I mean, Yu Darvish has a better strikeout minus walk rate than the three guys ahead of him, Sale on Contra and Flaherty. And, uh, you know, by that metric, he's really good. And, but, you know, it is it is funny because um, so his location plus, like, recovered a little bit. In six of his last seven starts, it was above 100. So there was some recovery there in his spin rate and his location plus. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, in those six starts, uh, 31 innings, 38 strikeouts, uh, 11 walks, uh, but a four six ERA because of a few homers. Um, so it's it's kind of he's got some similarities with Aaron Nola here, you know, where it's here's like, here are these two guys that have really good strikeout minus walk rates and home run issues, and I think they're demonstrated home run rate issues. It's not like a young guy who just came up and you're like, oh, you know, I can look past. Uh, do we have anybody up here? Uh, Shane Boz's two two home runs per nine, right? <laughs> well, well, yeah, that was thirteen innings, right? I mean, some, right. something like that for sure. We'll have another player late that we'll talk about later that also has a home run issue, and 
So the home run issue is just really interesting to me because it's it's not very useful in small samples. However, Nola and Darvish, Darvish is working on like a five or six year run of, of higher elevated home run issues, right? Aaron Nola, ever since the rabbit wall came around in 2019, has had his issues. Um, so at that point, you can start to project, some, project them for higher home run rates, and uh, it, it does become a part of the discussion of their value. Um, so that's why they are where they are. But uh, another nice thing about home run rate, if you look at uh, Darvish or you look at Nola, uh, they have years where they pop, right? And they just get lucky on home runs. And then they're an ace. Yeah. So Nola and Darvish are very interesting to me as guys who are probably number twos, um, but could pop and be number ones. Yeah, I wonder if when this list sees the light of day, if Nola and Darvish will be closer together than they are now, or if they'll remain slightly separated but within the same tier. Because I would, I would definitely say this is still the same tier, regardless of how far apart they are within this group. Um, I think the other player that's interesting in this range, though, is Jack Flaherty because he's in the missed time because of injury bucket. We've seen some great performances in, in terms of ratios, and there have been some questions about whether or not the skills fully back that up. But I think that's answered by park factors and defense. This is a Cardinals team that defensively is fantastic at taking mm-hmm. balls in play and, and just turning them into outs. And I think I'm buying that as something they're going to own as a team again in 2022. So. If we're expecting Flaherty to be completely healthy going into the season and we think he's more in that medium risk category in terms of injuries as opposed to high risk, I, I'm I'm in. I'm here for it. I think he can be a 20-plus dollar pitcher again pretty easily, and I've got him sitting right there with Darvish and Morton. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also another guy with demonstrated home run risk, uh, projected for 1.2, has had a 1.24 for his career. Last, uh, you know, 120 innings combined, 2021 20. Uh, in 2020, uh, over 1.3, more like a 1.35 home run rate. Um, could be because he's kind of a two-pitch guy. I've wondered, though, if if my expectations for him have always just been unfairly high. I think the reason why I've always Isn't had... great 2019, even with the rabbit ball, 275 ERA? Or... Yeah, and I, I think the the thing about it was I... I think I think it was that was it that year. It might have been 2018. I think I had him as a rookie in 2018 when he broke through and won a league uh, because of him too. And I, I wonder if I've never been able to fully shake that. Where I, <laughs> when I look at him, I look through the same lens that I look through everybody else at for skills. And then when I'm trying to separate guys that end up being nearly equal, I always err on the side of rounding up on Flaherty. Like if it's a if it's a bias for me, yeah, because, because of he past sticks success. out as not really belonging where he belongs by a lot of the metrics. Uh, Worst uh, swinging strike rate other than, uh, is it Urias? Yeah, worst swinging strike rate in the top 20. Uh, worst K-BB uh, other than Sandy Alcantara in the top 20. Uh, what is this? Third worst, fourth worst stuff plus. Uh, below average command location plus. Yeah. This is not, not a big ground ball guy. But so this is why... People would say, well, ADP is not that helpful. Why Why would you put ADP alongside your rankings? Well, part of the reason I put it there is to go, huh, I like Darvish and Morton pretty much the same as I like Flaherty. Oh, yeah, you push them. Yeah, and there's a 30-pick difference. So if I'm sitting there in, at the end of round four and there's a little pitcher run happening and I see all three of those guys in the queue and I think, i got to wait a little while for my next turn, but I think these guys are pretty much equal. 
I'm still pretty likely to pass on Flaherty in that scenario. Whereas if we're going dollar for dollar in an auction scenario, I like mm. Flaherty better when I'm assuming more likely to throw that extra dollar. A balanced it. situation, right? Yeah. If if the bidding is at 17 on all three of those guys, I'm more likely to say 18 on Flaherty. I think I don't know how to fully convey that other than maybe like writing a disclaimer at the top of the rankings and explain that. But that's like the part of team building and making decisions in the moment that no matter how much we talk about what we think of players and how to play the game, I feel like that's the hardest thing to teach. It's like making the the finite, the, the littlest adjustments, trying to play the room correctly. You know, I, I did it during the the Christmas-ish movie draft. Uh, I, I thought Britt was going to take Home Alone 2 with her two picks on the wheel. So I took that and, you know, oh. I, I, the timing was everything, right? Apparently planes, trains, and automobiles is about Thanksgiving. So sorry. Well, that's why we opened it up to a wider range of quarter four holidays. Well, the one thing that pops for me on ADP too, and I, and I agree with you, and but I've seen some uh, Joe Musgrove hate out there, and I just wonder why. I uh, don't see it. He's got an 80 ADP, ADP, and I could see taking him over Logan Webb, who has a 57 ADP. You've got them 19 and 20, and I totally agree with that. Logan Webb has the highest in-zone contact rate uh, of anybody in the top 25, I think. Yes. And I, I think that's... And I know he's about ground balls, but like, Ks matter. I I'm st- I struggle with this one a lot. I think with Logan Webb, if you follow the projections, I've got him ranked a little too high. I'd rather I'd rather give up a quarter run in projected ERA to get you know .06 whip back on the other side. I think that's a, a trade I'd, I'd err on the side of Musgrove with. I think it's also... What else do you use to break ties when you're looking at similarly skilled pitchers? You know, like what else comes to your mind? Does team quality come into you, to your mind? Does does bullpen quality come into your mind? Does run support come into your mind? Like those things have always park, I've always park thought about matters. all those things in park and park, I, and park and parks. You know, like what are the parks? But you know, Webb has to go to Colorado. So does Musgrove. They've got the same division, so they get the same difficulty of road matchups. They both have pitcher friendly home parks, but I would still put Oracle as a more pitcher-friendly environment than, than Petco. Weirdly, Giants did well defensively, but I would say, if, by my eyes, I would say that I would think the Padres are a better defensive team, but then Tatis is a little bit up and down in that regard, and that, that kind of matters. So And Grisham a little bit too. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I could see those soft factors uh, favoring Webb, but I think largely I'm just agreeing with your ranking of it and wondering why his ADP is so high. Um I I take Musgrove over Barrios, who's got a seventy ADP. I take I think I'd take Musgrove over Gossman, even with the new park and 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 division factors. Yeah, uh, you know I take Musgrove. I I'd personally take Musgrove over Webb, but that's uh, that's uh, you know that you have them you know nineteen twenty like I said. Uh, I'd take Musgrove over Max Fried, uh, who's a, a seventy ADP. Dude, uh, I take Musgrove. Well, <sighs> they will talk about this guy later. But uh, I know anyway, I know this are... is supposed to be like a bounce back focus show. And I know, we, I know. But, but we have the ranks in front of but us. We're now, <laughs> but now we're like we're in we're in it. Like This is what happens. This is why. Well, what you're when you're evaluating bounce backs, you have to talk about them in context of the other pitchers. Right. <laughs> like you, you have to talk about where Aaron Nola, where you take Aaron Nola and what you would do if you took Aaron Nola, because that helps people understand how much of a bounce back you think is coming. Yeah. I mean, 
Musgrove, I, I do think, carries the medium injury risk based on stuff that happened prior to him getting to San Diego. So that's one of the things that I would just point out is like the few the, one of the few things I'm worried about with him is health. But I think I think people are just overreacting to the shape of the season. Probably. Let me look at these. I, I, I'm going to get his uh, season splits in front of me because uh, I remember he kind of was blew the doors off the league in the first half, right? And then, but I just don't think that people figure out pitchers, you know, 293 first half ERA, 347 second half ERA, 464 September ERA. Like, which of these things do I not care about? It's the 464 September ERA, hint, hint. <laughs> but i think that how, that shapes people march 124 era september 464 era what was it for the year really really good <laughs> yeah i mean the season season era for musgrove what 318 yeah it's good i'm all over that let's get to another bounce back guy that's a little lower in the rankings and going a little bit later well a little bit later than some of the names we talked about but not all of them luis castillo and I know when we talk about ADP, we're talking about average draft position from the NFBC, and we know the NFBC, there's no trading, and any of those leagues, strikeouts just drive prices. And Luis Castillo generally will bring plenty of strikeouts. Like even, even in a down year, the strike... The strikeout rate dipping for him to me is less troubling than it would be for other guys because the swinging strike rate was still really good. Like there's the ingredients for the K rate to bounce back are, are still there. So I'm not panicking. You know, projections I think have him for 210 Ks. The steamer projections have him at 210 Ks and 192 innings. I'm not really quabbling with that. Really, he's always going to have a really good ground ball rate because of his fastball and his changeup. Yeah, and he deals with that park a lot better than a lot of pitchers do since we know Great American Ballpark up home runs so what i really want to know is why are people so comfortable drafting luis castillo in the 70 range i mean it's ahead of it's ahead of darvish it's ahead of morton it's ahead of musgrove by a little bit it's ahead of dylan cease uh it's ahead of trevor rogers and shane mcclanahan i have all those guys ahead of luis castillo because i i do think we're seeing some warts and i guess the other related question is if you see something like a, a decline in velocity over part of a season, even if it's a cold part of the season, how much does that matter to you in the long run? If the velocity comes back later, do you look at it and say, you know what, it was something with conditions or a minor injury that's not an issue anymore, we can forget about it, or does it stay on the, the resume? Does it stay in the permanent record? It's interesting because he's had this issue before, uh, and people have, uh, you know, s- you know, pointed to the cold months. And uh, to me, I'm like, okay, well, that's a nice explanation, but it's also going to be cold next year, right? Probably more <laughs> likely than not, it will still be right. very cold in April and May in a lot of the places <laughs> right. where he's going to pitch. So if you have to bake this in, then you have to bake this in next year. I, I mean, it, like I can tell the story that everyone is telling about Luis Castillo. 89 stuff plus in the first 11 starts. After June 1, when it got warm, 103 stuff plus. Market improvement. Mostly in the fastball where the velocity came up. The change got better a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, so I can tell that story the same way everybody else is telling. Oh, the, wa- the warm weather, velo, better. But I have to tell you, man, it's going to be cold again next year. And the thing that really leaps off the page for me is $0 earned last year by the Rotowire auction calculator. Now, when we're talking about you, Darvish bouncing back, he gave you $9 last year. You know, 
Um, who were the who were the other? When we talk about Aaron Nola bouncing back, he gave you seven dollars, right? So I think in a way you can be like, okay, worst case scenario, I get like a number three or four with my Nola or Darvish pick, right? I still get seven bucks back. With Castillo, the worst case scenario is demonstrated zero. Right, SP6. In, in, in 190 innings. So it's not like zero because he got hurt. <laughs> he pitched 190 innings and gave you zero dollars. So uh, I know you could have maybe played the game where you didn't play him as much early in the season or traded for him midseason and maybe you got better, but that just leaps off the page for me. The other thing that leaps off the page for me is that I, I know – what you're saying about the strikeouts, but some function of that is bulk and the bulk projection, right? He's not a, a standout in strikeout rate. Like even where you have him ranked at 29th around him, Frankie Montas, 26.6% K rate to Luis Castillo's 239 If you're talking about percentage, uh, Alec Manoa, 27.7, Shane McCann, McCann and Trevor Rogers, 28.5. Like these people are dwarfing him. Uh, Baz and Lynn behind him, dwarfing him in strikeout rate. And the thing that makes me nervous is he's change-up first. He's change-up first, and change-ups have the weakest relationship to overall strikeout rate. So the quality of your change-up has the weakest relationship to your overall strikeout rate because uh, change-ups do give you weak contact. Now, that help keeps that helps keeps his, his home run per nine low, and it helps him manage his park, but it also reduces his strength in a category, the strikeout rate as a category. Uh, so I don't know. His KBB is weak. Uh, I I have him as a bounce back. I think he will bounce back, but I'm going to struggle with ranking him. And I it's there's no way I put him above Joe Musgrove, like I just said. Um, and I will struggle in that 21 through 29 range to kind of sort him. I may sort him a little higher than yours because you know cease bad ballpark, bad command. Gossman, you know, bad, you know, bad uh, ballpark situation, not just his home park, but everywhere to, and especially with his home run uh, issues in the past. So, uh, and then there's a bunch of young guys there that just have, uh, you know, very few innings under their belt just to know exactly what their true talent is. That Rogers, McClanahan, Manoa grouping uh, averages about a hundred innings, you know, and as much as I think my stuff plus uh, stuff can tell us about them, um, you know, uh, there's some inconsistent results there too. In terms of Manoa's stuff plus is only 101.6, and Rogers is only 102. So I'm gonna str- I'm gonna struggle with ranking Castillo. This, that's the the short story. The thing about it for where I've got him right now is it's more important for me to get him right based on auction dollar value sorts of preferences than snake draft preferences because where i've got him i'm not getting him like if if you're yeah. look, if you're looking at my ranks and building a team in a snake draft you're probably not getting luis castillo unless you ended up in the uh, the hell scenario of drafting against 14 copies of me which would suck <laughs> yeah listen every time on an nfbc and someone says something uh about me in the chat i'm like oh boy he's got my rankings up yeah well that's uh I guess it's a lesson to do more early drafts, huh? Yes. I, I, so I tell my wife, I got to get out ahead of this. Well, I, I think there's there's the advantage in having your homework done ahead of time and being ahead of the market before yeah. before the group think and things start to <laughs> uh, to take over. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's move down a bit in the rankings and in <laughs> ADP. A good, good, uh, good headline here if you're watching on YouTube. <laughs> so I'm having a hard time figuring out how to write, ooh, that Snell. And I, I went with EW <laughs> with lots of Ws as the, the best way because, oh, that Snell didn't seem right. That almost seemed more like we were impressed by what happened. But less was more. We talked about it during the season. Once he got down to a, a shorter pitch mix, he actually had a lot more success late in the year. They added Ruben Niebla to be their pitching coach. And if you didn't have faith in Blake Snell figuring it out for himself, which I think you could probably talk yourself into anyway, I just, it's hard to read players from afar, but I didn't get the sense that Blake Snell was the kind of guy that was just going to be like, well, it's cool. I only got two pitches now and I'm just going to live this way. I kind of got the sense that that wasn't going to be fine with him over the course of the I mean, offseason. He's always talking about, you know, he loves his changeup. He's always talking about trying to improve his, his changeup. Yeah. So I, I, to have it just go away completely is a little bit of a surprise. I, I mean, I always wanted him to throw it less because I don't think he commands it. But uh, in the last, you know, two, two months of the season, he didn't throw it. Yeah. So I, I'm looking at him and I've got him 35th right now among starting pitchers. Very gettable in that range, I think. ADP at last glance was in the 130 range, so much later than everybody else we're talking about. Uh, ranked near guys like Shane Boz, Justin Verlander, who I think will keep ticking up now that we know where he's pitching and yeah, he seems to be you know pretty healthy going into whatever the start of the season looks like. Zach Gallon's in this range too. Nathan Evaldi. These are all pitchers I like quite a bit, and Guys like this being available in this range, at least for now, are among my strongest argument for why you wouldn't need to go overboard with pitching early. You could actually go a little more aggressive with bats in the first six or seven rounds because you have guys in this group that very easily could return the value of someone that goes in the first four or five rounds among pitchers. I am now I've now graphed his slider percentage against his walk percentage. Yeah, uh he ended the season with what? Like a 13% walk rate? Yeah, yeah, or 12 and a half, yep. 
So uh, he basically, once he started really using the slider a lot more, was more of an 11 and a 10. So it's not going to be a big strength of his. Uh, that's the only, the only reason I bring it up is it's the only red on there. And one other thing I like about him as a bounce back is uh, he did produce positive value last year. So at the very worst, you got something out of him. Um, and, uh, I think with the, the pitch mix, pitch mix changes are very interesting to me. I think they're very, uh, sort of sticky and useful. Uh, they can change your stuff plus number. And, uh, I saw, um, was it, what's his uh, handle? Cameron pitching bot, pitching underscore bot. Is that, you know, that is not off the top of my head. Anyway, he has uh, a stuff plus model. Um, and then uh, he was saying that uh, uh, stuff plus changes uh, because of pitch mix changes are stickier um, and, and stick uh, stick better. So uh, I think Snell, uh, I think Snell is a good bounce back candidate. Um, at, you know, where do you, we have some guys here. So you have an ADP of 130 for him. Um, where would I take him? Who are guys I would take him over? that have lower ADPs. Um, Pablo Lopez? Yeah. Yeah, I would do that. Yeah, Lopez goes a little earlier, but I, yeah, I'd, I would take Snell over Lopez. Ian Anderson? Man, you've you've got so far into my head with Ian Anderson that <laughs> I don't even have my own thoughts about Ian Anderson. I just have your thoughts about Ian Anderson. No, the, the, the really interesting, the most interesting thing about Ian Anderson is that he might be doing something with a changeup that my model cannot capture. Yeah, does your model just not like Atlanta's pitching? Like, I mean, Freed, too. No. Yeah. No, I, I don't mean screwed. that in like the... Loves Charlie Morton. I don't mean that in the Keith, you know, y- your model is like the Keith Law of, of hating <laughs> things. Like, <laughs> You know, uh, Matt, the, Mike Fast is a very smart guy. The, the, the director of analytics there, or director of R&D, I think. I'm not sure exactly what his title is, but um, Mike Fast is a really smart guy. And so I think it's possible that they are capturing some stuff that we do not have in this public model. Uh, with regards to Ian Anderson, I think it would have something to do with possibly arm speed um, or um, something unique about his high release point and use of changeup. Uh, there aren't a lot of people who throw a changeup from his extreme over-the-top release point. I know I have release point in my model, uh, but there could be some relationship between the way his arm looks coming from that release point and the quality of his changeup that we're just not capturing. And... It's getting to the point now where he's demonstrated results on that changeup that far outweigh the grades that these pitching models put on it. So yeah, I think that one's a really tough one to to figure out. Uh, but the projections model, like it's not, we're not the only ones having trouble with this. Look at the steamer projections for Ian Anderson: four oh seven ERA, one thirty six WHIP. Yeah, and and I think when you have a lot of the inputs spread out on the table, and then you have the projection next to them, and you compare that to everybody else, you you end up getting maybe too caught up in something that's being counted multiple times. And, and I think that could be happening a little bit to Ian Anderson because if I sort of carve out the pictures between Ian Anderson and Luis Castillo and I just look at the skills and start thinking about general flaws, they're very similar pictures. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it, it's hard to see, you know, 10... 10 pitchers between those two guys. So either Castillo's too high or Anderson's too low. I mean, I, I, they, they should be closer together somehow. And I'm not sure which direction that should be necessarily. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then there's also uh, something weird that happens um, in drafts, I guess, right around 30. Uh, so you have Lance Lynn 30, right? And he's got a 59 uh, or 60 ADP. Yeah, so I, I will um, have zero Lance Lynn at you probably won't have current nice time. Answer. I'll probably just miss out. But uh, it, it, but the guys ahead of him, um, only Shane McClanahan has a, a number over 101, right? So, uh, you know, in your top 30, the worst pitchers are being taken around 80 and 90, right? Yeah. And then outside of your top 30, the best pitchers are being taken at like 120. There is like a shelf where I think people ba- like abandon pitching for a few rounds and yeah. go after, I think, probably the last year's versions of Bryant and Altuve, which would be like Bellinger and Yelich this yeah. year. Those guys are kind of falling into that space between the SP2s and the SP3s. Yeah. So there's that. There's- the answer could be taking Cody Bellinger around early. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, after our last podcast, if you if you buy buy that, uh, so that at 110 you'll have your pick of Snell, uh, you know, Ian Anderson, Pablo Lopez, Rodone, yeah, you know, like you know, you'll you'll if you if you identified somebody in there that you really want, uh, if you pop them up to like 110, you will get them. That's, I mean, that's what's going to happen between now and March. Like the, those guys that are, are great values in that range right now, in the mm-hmm. one ten to one fifty range among starting pitchers, they're gonna they're gonna close the gap. That will certainly happen. Yeah. As certain as anything with this sort of market, but can I be. do think that shelf exists. I think that's a real thing. I think there is. Uh, I because I I think about it in terms of the way I draft. I'm like, oh yeah. You you look at the rankings. You're like, there's no top thirty pitchers left. I'm gonna go take a hitter. This is where I think you have to like very consciously plan around the market and and get away mm. from the patterns everybody else is in because you're more likely to get the players you actually want if you can break yeah. out of that pattern. If you're kind of just following the waves of what's happening in the room you're much more likely to get sniped because you're you're cutting it too close on the players that you want at each opportunity. You're like, oh, the, usually this guy right goes now, here, so I'm going to keep waiting, I'm going to keep waiting. Oh, no, he went three picks before me. Yeah, and yeah, you don't want to be following the same patterns as everybody else, exactly. And then I, that's why I'm not that big on making sure I double tap pitchers in the first four rounds because every time I do that, my team looks the same as everybody else's and I'm trying to get the same players at the same time as everybody else, you know? Yeah, uh, I find that if I only come out of the first four rounds with one pitcher, um, I you know there's a little bit of fire under my ass to get more pitchers because <laughs> I'm I'm a little behind. However, um, you know I'm always kind of thinking about pitchers in my drafts, and so I, I find that I just have better hitters if I do that. But uh, you know, also looking at the sort of shelf thing. Uh, I think there's an amazing thing that happens here between 30 and 33, and it is our next bounce back pitcher. Segway. Uh, Lance Lynn has an ADP of 59.8 right now, and Zach Gallen at 33 has an uh, on your rankings has an ADP of 150. <laughs> yes, and the things that we've always loved about Zach Gallen, the command, still true. deep pitch, um, deep pitch mix. The the thing about Zach Gallon that I am really warming up to as well is that 
I didn't think the Diamondbacks were going to be as bad as they were in 2021. So there's there's like the just automatic rebound. The team bounce back. A, a team bounce back where they, they uh-huh. just can't be that bad again. Plus, there's talent coming up. It's a team that's going to get better. They're going to bring some young players up. They're going to be... Alec Thomas. Excited about him. Alec Thomas. We were talking about the NL West on the Athletic Baseball Show just a few days ago. And, and Keith, Keith Law is all over Corbin Carroll actually making mm-hmm. a debut this year, too. So you bring up Carroll. You bring up Thomas. You play Dal- Dalton Varsho every day. Cattell Marte is healthy. Carson Kelly's not bad behind the plate. Maybe Seth Beer adds a little punch at first base. You add a free agent maybe along the way, like a mid-tier guy. Suddenly, that's a that's a team that's getting a lot better. And I, I don't know why they signed Mark Melanson. Maybe maybe they think they can hang around, trade him, whatever. Anyway, all I that think their philosophy generally actually, you know, that was a weird signing. But I think their philosophy generally is like let's try and be an eighty-six win team every year. Right. That's yeah. that's what I've seen from them. Playing playing the middle, and part of playing the middle for them is that Zach Allen might be an ace. Like that's mm-hmm. that's still a possibility. And I think if you can get a guy who might be an ace. At pick 150, and we're talking about him as a inside the top 50 guy this time next year. You did really well. Like that's a great pick in that range. I don't think he's going to stay at 150. I think he's he's definitely among the guys that yeah. will creep up in ADP. If his if his 100%. March ADP isn't closer to 100 than to 150, I'd be surprised. So you know, be prepared for that. If you really like Zach Gallon, you're probably going to have to move him up a couple of rounds from where he was going at the beginning of draft season. I mean, he's he. You got him ranked uh, a a bunch of, among a bunch of people who all have ADPs of about thirty or forty more than uh, low, lower than him, and his uh, stuff plus and location plus are better than Blake Snell. Uh, both his stuff plus and location plus are better than Blake Snell, uh, Marcus Stroman, Logan Gilbert, Pablo Lopez, Ian Anderson, Lance McCullers, yeah. um, even. Carlos Rodon. No, Carlos Rodon's stuff plus is better. Anyway, um, it, it, there's a there's a, a model justification for that, but also it's just, uh, it goes beyond that because if you kind of go to the pitch level, um, what I like about the, the, the stuff plus models, it can give you an idea of like what the arsenal looks like. And the, 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 the curve, knuckle curve is 118 stuff plus. So I'd call that borderline elite, but at least plus, right? The four seam was 109. The changeup was 105. The slider was 103, and the cutter 100. So I say I see a plus pitch, and then four above average pitches, um, average or above average. The only thing that makes me worry is it's soft velo. I mean, it really is, and it and it got a little softer at the end of the season. And the four seam ended closer to 100 stuff plus at the end of the season. So that's the only thing that makes me worry. And I think that is an interesting worry because as a prospect coming up, people wondered about the velo. So uh, if you have the benefit of waiting till spring training and you hear uh, he's touching 96, um, then I would jump him into the top 25, I think. Like I would get really excited. It's the only asterisk I have on the entire package is the fastball velo. Yeah, and you know we've seen plenty of guys add a couple ticks. He's young enough, especially where it doesn't seem that far fetched that Zach Gallon would come out throwing was, harder. He had injury last year. Yeah, you know, like we don't know how that how that affected him. It was a very weird injury. Uh, he ended up still throwing through it. I think he got basically. I couldn't I couldn't figure this out, but I think he, I think it's because he injured himself swinging. So I think he like you know he like hurt his wrist swinging. And there was like a, a small flat fracture that was non-displaced, I think, which is you don't need surgery and you don't even need a cast. You're just supposed to give it rest. 
and he just felt it when he was throwing the curveball. So I don't know what that means, but he had to throw the curveball. So, uh, but I think that could that could have led to some fatigue factors or or just some injury over time. I don't know. I I I, I just wanted to bring up the fastball velo. That's the only thing that might have me worried about him. One more pitcher to get to before we go. Sonny Gray. He is just outside my top 50, I think, for the first time probably in four or five years. Maybe the uh, post-Yankee stint bumped him out there temporarily. But usually he is one of those kind of steady Eddie, boring SP2, SP3s that I gravitate toward. And I'm wondering if this is a good time to just let someone else get a possible value. ADP outside the top 150 overall. I don't know. I, I see a little bit of a home run problem. I see kind of a mediocre walk rate and strikeouts are, are there for now, but I just wonder if the strikeout rate could start to tumble at this point in his career too. So what do you think about Sonny Gray? Am I too low on him? Do you think he could actually pop and end up at least getting back up into the, the gallon Stroman back of the top 40 range? Or do you see enough red flags to stay away? Well, you know, he, he still has that, 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 um, plus stuff number. I mean, it, it, he still has a 106, you know, so, but I think it's mostly because of the curveball. Um, and so he, he like has a little bit more similarities with like maybe an Adam Wainwright or a Charlie Morton than you might expect. Does that make sense? It's a pretty, wide but he has the worst, though. he has the worst park situation out of those three. Yeah, and I, I just think about the the last few years from Adam Wainwright and how how bad it got for Wainwright before it came back around and became good again. And mm-hmm. I think Cincinnati just there's so little room for error there because of the the home run inflation that we see in that park. A lot of contact in the zone for Sonny Gray, which I don't know if that's necessarily new, but that's the other skill that I, I worry about. It's like, well, he gets K's, but he also gets hit in the zone a lot. It's very it's very odd. Yeah, the zone contact uh, is really high on the slider, and that's something that he talked about uh, when it when he was when he left uh, New York was that he can't really throw the slider in the zone. It, it becomes like a, a sort of a spinning pitch uh, for him. So, uh, and that was still true last year. I mean, here's his zone contact rate, his zone whiff rate on the slider was eight percent last year. It was uh, zone whiff rate for the curveball is twenty four percent. You know, zone riff rate on the on the four seam fastball, which is like maybe his worst pitch. It is his worst pitch was seventeen percent. So the slider only really works for him outside of the zone. Uh, and in terms of plus pitches, it's uh, it's really the the sinker and, and the slider. But the slider doesn't really work in the zone that well. Um, so it, it's an interesting combination of pitches. But I have to say, I believe in him more than you. I believe in him a little more than you. I I would have him higher. I just look at that stuff. I look at the strikeout rate. Twenty-seven percent is an excellent strikeout rate. If you put him uh, among uh, Gilbert Lopez and Ian Anderson at the back end of the forty, he would have the best strikeout rate in that grouping. Yeah, I think the highest I could go, just looking at stuff and location and guys ahead of him, would be right behind Logan Gilbert. And then you're kind of choosing: do you want the young guy that could be tracking towards something much better, or do you want the old guy who's more likely to just bounce back to twelve to fifteen dollar status, and I that that probably depends on who you have on your roster already in a vacuum. I would prefer Gilbert, 
but that's a that's as high as I could probably get with Sonny Gray right now. And I'm I think I, I'll have him probably somewhere in that back end top forty. Well, I mean, hey, it's a ten it's a ten pitcher gap, and and it does get fuzzier after you leave thirty behind, which is why there's that shelf, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I'd have them a little higher. I, I just, uh, I believe in the sinker cutter curve combo. I know the slider. I just think he can spin it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think he can spin it and spin is one of the best things in terms of aging. Um, that's not something that I've necessarily been able to prove, but it is something I've heard from team, uh, from like coach coaching types and like team analysts. So, uh, and if you look around at the guys who survived the longest, Rich Hill, Adam Wainwright, Charlie Morton types, they can spin it. So I see a relationship there with, you know, three breaking balls. Uh, the sinker is still good. Um, and, uh, the strikeout rate is still good. So I, I'm a believer. Well, we got to go, uh, a few things before we go, you can get a subscription to the athletic 33% off the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels that gets you everything on the site all for one low price. I highly suggest you do that. If you haven't done that already, uh, if you have any thoughts about doing Edward 40 hands in any form on new year's, don't do it. Um, uh, that is a horrible idea. You will be much happier not doing that and doing almost anything else. So do not do 40 hands. We are not endorsing 40 hands on New Year's. <laughs> I never know. I was just joking. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter. He's at Enoceris. You can Don't find, do the diaper party. No, do not do that. You can find Britt at Britt underscore Droll. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. And of course, be sure to hit the like button on this video if you're watching us on YouTube. But that is going to do it for the 2021 episodes of Rates in Barrels. We are back with you next week. Thanks for listening. And... Happy New Year. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.